All right, everybody, welcome back. It's that time again. It's the Zest Life podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Todd Spencer. On today's episode, we're going to be covering the power of play and the role that play holds in being a well-adjusted adult and the potential benefits of learning to be more playful. I remember growing up, there just seemed to always be a lot of kids around our household. I've got five sisters that are groovy and funky fresh, and they always had friends over and and, you know, as they started having, you know, their own kids, there's always, you know, nieces and nephews in the home. And I remember hearing my mom talk about play and she would say, you know, Todd, a child's work is play. Indicating that one of the most important things from her perspective is that a child has space and time to play. And my mom's absolutely right. When you look at the research on play, wow, play does so many things for kids. In fact, Dr. Stuart Brown, who is the founder and past president of the National Institute of Play, has said, The presence or absence of play, particularly in child development, has a great deal to do with competency, resiliency, emotional health, and even brain size. He continues, Play is not frivolous and not just for kids, but something that is an inherent part of human nature. Like, wowza, there's a lot to unpack in that quote for me. So here we have one of the most prolific researchers on play, someone that has really helped establish it to be a field of study, basically saying play is essential to the human experience, specifically for our emotional health and resiliency. And I think one of the main reasons I really went into mental health was a desire to try to understand what makes people resilient. Right, because all of us are facing different challenges, every single one of us. Right, we might have challenges in relationships, we might have challenges at work, we might have challenges with health, we might have there's any like there's no end to the amount of like challenges or difficulties we can find ourselves in. But resiliency is this idea that in the face of challenges, there's still potential for growth, or there's still a potential for discovery or learning, or sometimes resiliency is even like. Times are taxing, but I have enough. I made it through. And the American Psychological Association defines resilience as the process and outcome of successful adapting to difficult or challenging life experiences, especially through mental, emotional, and behavioral flexibility and adjustment to external and internal demands. And I know that's really kind of a a big academic definition of resilience, But the thing that it helps highlight is that when we are going through challenges, we can lean into mental, emotional, and behavioral flexibility to help us adjust to whether their circumstances internally, so challenges sort of within ourselves or externally, if there's something that's outside of our control, that we can potentially mobilize our emotional, mental, and behavioral flexibility. And I go back to... You know, Dr. Brown's statement earlier I read about play not being frivolous or just for kids, but an inherent part of human nature. And one of the reasons that play is part of the human experience is because play really does help us mobilize resiliency. And one specific time in my life where I really kind of discovered the value of play happened during graduate school, actually. The demands of graduate school was really, really hard on my family. We loved the experience, but also my wife and I, we kind of got tired of like living for the weekend. 
meaning Monday morning I would get up super, super early, then I would get home super late, and that would be like lather, rinse, repeat, repeat for the rest of the week until Friday came around, and then I, then we would have Friday and Saturday and Sunday, then we'd repeat the process again. And so the joke was kind of like, oh, I would kiss my wife goodnight on Sunday and say, okay, I'll, I'll see you again on Friday. And we wanted more. And the more that graduate school demanded of us, the more we needed each other. And the way that we were able to sort of make it through that experience was we decided, you know what? We need to have a midweek date night. And so we started looking at the calendar and saying, hey, what is our potential to get together Wednesday night after the kids are asleep? And we can have a stay-at-home date night. And we decided we're going to play board games. And so that's what we did. We started. And I had a buddy, Clint, who was really big into the board game hobby, who really kind of opened and expanded my mind to the world of, of play as an adult through modern tabletop board games. And Clint continues to serve as my board game mentor and friend, and I adore interactions with Clint. And one of the humorous things I've heard him say throughout the years is in order for him to get through graduate school, it was either going to be board games or drugs. And if he had chosen drugs, he probably would have saved money at this point. And that's not to make light of anyone who's ever experienced, you know, challenges with, with drugs and, and coping through substances. But it, but it does teach us some important things, right? That the way you cope really kind of matters. And for Clint, it's I need a way to cope through graduate school. For Todd, it was I need a way to cope through graduate school. I need a way to connect with my partner during a really busy season of life. But for you, it might not be graduate school and it might not be board games. But I do know that there are playful ways that you can start to mobilize resiliency. A second element of Clint's quote is this idea that it's okay to allocate resources to play. Now, I'm not suggesting that you spend all your money, all your time, all your energy, those things that are always limited to spend it all on toys. But I would ask yourself, what things can I do now that will make me feel more whole? What sort of play nurtures me in meaningful ways? And what resources do I have that I could responsibly allocate towards that? And in preparing for today's episode, you know, I explored lots of different research about play, examined, you know, play from a historical context as well. And one of the fascinating things that stood out to me is Plato, right? So the ancient Greek philosopher and student of Socrates has several powerful quotes about play, actually. And one of the most profound being to me, life must be lived as play. So as that as the research, let's really dive deep into how does play benefit ourselves as well as our relationships. In 2011, in the Journal of Psychology of Well-Being, there was an article published called The Virtuousness of Adult Playfulness, The Relation of Playfulness with Strengths of Character by Proyer and Ruch. And within their research, they found some really powerful associations with play in adulthood. For example, play in adulthood was associated with higher creativity, appreciating beauty, approaching life with excitement and energy, playful expressions of love, a sense of hope, and a sense of humor. 
Overall, the authors identified play as being a significant contributing factor to overall well-being. Additional research published in 2013 in the Journal of Leisure Sciences found that play helps adults cope with stress, that it's an adaptive and healthy way to cope with life's challenges and difficulties. And you all probably know by now that there's nothing so delicious to me as like good couples research. Like, mm, I love it. Give, give me some of that. And so when I start digging into play and the benefits of play within a couple framework, uh, some beautiful things really started to emerge. For example, there's research identifying that play increases bonding, communication, conflict resolution, and overall relationship satisfaction. Further research found that play can promote spontaneity when life seems routine. It can serve as a reminder of positive relationship history and promote intimacy. So again, that emotional closeness. And as couples have fun together, it can cause couples to experience more positive emotions, which can increase relationship satisfaction and help couples to unite in order to overcome differences and give hope when working through difficult challenges. And one of the last things I'll note just about play within couples that some studies even suggested that having fun together as a couple was the single most important factor in the sense of friendship, commitment, and the greatest influence of overall marital satisfaction. So play is doing a lot of things for couples. Basically, it enhances everything. When I think about the issues that the couples I work with present within therapy, Play could be part of the solution no matter what the problem is. And another quote by Plato, you can discover more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. And I've spent time trying to understand what is Plato really trying to express in this quote. And I think what Plato is suggesting is that there's a vulnerability component with play that allows to true understanding. And one of the prerequisites to intimacy, so that emotional closeness, is vulnerability. Like there's no real other like pathway or shortcut to really having that deep emotional closeness without partners being vulnerable with each other. And so when a partner is vulnerable and it's safe and it's reciprocated, wow, that has some emotional bonding agent to it. And so I have really begun to reframe or rethink play is how is play potentially a vehicle to vulnerability and that vulnerability leads to emotional closeness. And it's that emotional closeness that really is what leads to, to all the gains sort of within a relationship. So we, we've spent some time talking about the benefits of play and why it's helpful for you and your meaningful relationships. The next natural question then is why don't more people do it? Why do adults oftentimes stop playing? And as I've reflected on my experiences working with different people, one of the most common themes that comes to mind is this idea that if it's not productive, it's not worthwhile. And on the surface level, I can understand the argument of play is not productive. It doesn't take things off my to-do list. And if it's not going to take something off my to-do list, then it's not worthy of my resources. Okay, so we're at the point in the episode now where we're going to focus on applying play principles to your life. And so this is going to be the most important part of the episode. And the way we're going to frame this is we're going to explore Dr. Stuart Brown's 
eight play personalities. So Dr. Stuart Brown, he's the same gentleman who founded the National Institute for Play, has identified eight specific domains and ways people can play. So what you might consider doing is as I describe each of these play personalities, I want you to ask yourself on a scale of one to 10, how important is this element of play for you? You might also consider answering how important is this play to my partner or my kids or a coworker or any other sort of meaning relationship to learn how you might further connect and deepen that relationship. It's important to note also that people don't have just one play personality. And so some of them might be more relevant to you than others. But again, here we go. Let's do this. The first one is the collector. This is the person who derives a lot of joy from collecting things. And what you collect can be unique and specific to you. So it could be baseball cards. It could be vintage guitars. It could be anything. And the playful joy comes from it not necessarily having to be a practical thing, but you're sort of nurturing the part of you that is a, a super fan of something. The second play personality is the competitor. This is a person who really enjoys play and competing. So they derive a playfulness and enthusiasm as they are competing in some sort of game. And it could be an athletic game or it could be any other sort of game. But the playfulness is manifested. Oh, I have an opportunity to compete. The third play personality is the creator or artist. So this is going to be the individual that really derives a lot of their joy from tapping into that creative process, working with their hands, or just sort of taking a project from beginning to end. And there's this element of mastery that is part of this, that they love being able to develop and deepen that skill set. But even just creating for creating's sake, without it necessarily being tied to any practicality, is a really important aspect of play. The fourth play personality is something Dr. Brown termed as the director. These are the individuals that really enjoy planning and hosting parties and events. They get excited at the prospect of being able to entertain others as well as just creating a structure and facilitating meaningful experiences and interactions with others. The next type of play personality is called the explorer. This is the individual that really enjoys trying new things, having new experiences. And there's a lot of different ways that can be manifest. So for some people, it can be trying new food. It be, can be going to new places. And overall, the play is, the joy in the playing really comes from just experiencing new things they haven't done before. The sixth type of play personality is called the joker. This is the individual that just enjoys being silly and just has a kind of a playful personality. And so anything to laugh and just the interactions of, of just being sort of in the moment and lightheartedness. The seventh type of play personality is the kinesthetic. And this is the person who really enjoys moving their body. That play is manifest as they are dancing, as they engage in yoga, or any sort of activity that they don't normally do that they can experience and express their, their playfulness through the way they're moving their body. And the last of Dr. Brown's play personalities is number eight, the storyteller. And he classifies the storyteller as someone who just loves to create stories, create worlds and specifically they might enjoy interacting and sharing the stories with others they often enjoy the theater and you can see how that can be almost an extension of the creator or the artist but specifically being able to create stories 
is a very powerful and meaningful way for people to engage in play. So overall, the invitation simply is this, friends. Let's explore these eight play personalities and identify which ones are most meaningful for you. And if there's any you would like to engage more in, invest time in nurturing it. So do you prefer to play by being a collector, competitor, creator, director, explorer, joker, kinesthetic, or storyteller? As always, we'll catch you next time and stay zesty, friends.